the Charlton Daily. A Scotland Euro 2020 podcast by Hockey the Hack. Hello there and a very warm welcome to episode 12 of the Tartan Daily, straight after episode 11. That was a quick turnaround, wasn't it? Um, a lot quicker than the one from the last few days where we had a poem sitting up for two days and then we were we were back into this. But as you can see, I'm joined by another faceless individual, but this is a man who deliberately keeps his face off of things to maintain the anonymity of a superhero. That's your kind of vibe. It's Adam Miller, the man behind the absolutely brilliant Old Fun Facts football account. And let's be honest, mate, it's it's a whole thing now. You've got a podcast. You, you're obviously doing all the TV reviews for the national newspapers, all of that stuff. Yeah, you've got lots going on. Tell us a bit about that first, because people, if, if they're new to your stuff, like I would advise them to engage with, you're probably the person I retweet the most <laughs> um, and definitely like tweets the most, uh, just because genuinely on a daily basis, you're usually making me laugh, mate. So tell us about the whole smorgasbord of, of old fun facts production that's going on right now. Um, it's hard to it's hard to know where to start at the moment. It's just been it's been pretty relentless over the Euros. So I was like, I get woken up at ten to seven this morning to go on BBC Radio Kent and talk about Harry Kane, which is not. I saw that. What, was it good? What did you? I mean, you must have posted something that caught their attention. Like, what, what I, th- was... no, I think I think it's just that you do enough. Like I've done quite a bit of radio morning radio stuff for BBC, which you know nine times out of ten has been good, give or take the odd. Kay Adams and Joan Burney threatening me with the water cannons filled with disinfectants. Apart from that, it, it's going well. Uh, so I think I think with these things, your number then gets passed to other radio stations. So I was on that, and they were talk. They said so it, it was all very good this morning, but they talked about uh, how uh, you know let's turn our attention to the the Wales game after you know what was a disappointing. Uh, match on Friday night, and I was like, it wasn't disappointing for me. You know, no, <laughs> that's it. Well, yeah. that, that, that's I, it. That was just I, lazy, I, isn't it? I, I found it very. No, he was. He was just speaking from an English perspective. I was like, it was. Uh, it was. It was a lot of things for me, but not disappointing. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, so I'm doing stuff like that. But I've got. Um, technically, I'm a journalist, so that's that's a lot of things going on. I'm writing TV watch columns for the record on most days. Uh, so that'll be like you know, just talking about what Lineker's saying in the studio, and then what the pundits are saying at the game. Um, we'll do a bit of that today, mate. Because the thing is, I've I've missed some of the TV coverage because I've been in various different places, so I've had to watch it in various different ways, you know. And um, yeah. so I'm really interested to hear your views on that. Mm-hmm. And I've got I've got that I've got the weekly podcast, uh, the Old Fun Facts podcast, and so that takes up a lot of time, sort of writing and researching and. In, editing and promoting and all the rest of it and you can, you can tell them out uh so in total contrast to this which i have made no bones about it's a total ad hoc like <laughs> just bang out a daily podcast for the euros yours is meticulously crafted and i've got a lot of respect for that <laughs> it's probably more meticulous than i like i probably bit off more than i can do just in terms of how long it takes to do that because you're going you know a lot of it is when you're recording a lot of it's spontaneous and you know a lot of it's reacting to what the, the guests are saying everything like that but I tried to basically the way I looked at it was who knows how long I'll be able to do it for who knows if it'll be a success or not so I want to be able to yeah, but it's been randomly it. successful man like it's, well, it's yeah, I mean, really well. yeah it's, it's been better than I could hope for which has been brilliant but I kind of took the attitude that um 
treat every episode as if it's the last one you get a chance to do. So you don't want to look back on it and go, ah, I kind of wish I'd done it this way. Um, so there's a podcast and I've been doing a few monologues, writing and recording for the BBC uh, over the Euros. So it was a, a frantic, we had one scheduled to do on Saturday morning. Um, and we just, because that was the only time we could do it Saturday morning, we just had to sort of take a guess at what the England score would be, the, the score in the England game. So I was like, well, let's just do the Scottish thing and be sort of pessimistic and write one for, you know, look, we're looking at the Croatia game as just a chance to salvage some pride. And they, then obviously that's not what happened. So it was like a frantic rewrite up until midnight so it could then get signed off by someone in time for us to record on Saturday <laughs> morning. So it's been it's been pretty insane. But it's it's you know it's better to have too much work than not enough. No, absolutely that, mate. And especially these bits of work that we create for ourselves uh, as as journal types, where it's <laughs> the stuff we don't get paid for, but is our own sort of personal baby, you know. <laughs> and um, do, do you know the way I would describe your pod? Like, I've done, I mean, I, I would be lying if I said I've listened to every episode, but I've dipped in and out. Um, the, the problem is, see, when you start sort of doing all your own stuff, your time to listen to other people's just completely diminishes, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's that, that's the main reason. But the bits that I've heard, I, I would kind of describe it as kind of, as kind of have I got news for you, sort of, I, not in terms of, like the, the the editorial viewpoint it takes or anything like that, but just in terms of the way that there's there's nice wee set pieces set up for the humour, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, um, I mean there, there are jokes about like Tories as well. Well, right, exactly, yeah. which is is to be honest a staple for for any self respecting podcast or podcaster yeah. these days. Um, and you're getting a old pal Gaby on to talk about Taylor Swift. I've got I've got all the time in the world for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gaby was great on the show. Um, <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I'm not really. Don't get me wrong, if a high-profile footballer got in touch and said, I'd love to come on your podcast, I would have them on, obviously. But I'm not really in the market for guys that are currently playing. I'm more interested in interesting people who happen to be fans of football. So that the kind of maybe the first half of the show or even the first kind of third is taken up with, uh, you know, with, with talking about what's happened recently in football and there's a guarantee that the people who are on it will be able to talk kind of coherently and articulately and hopefully in an entertaining way about it. But then the rest of the show tends to just be about what their backgrounds are, what their interests are, and the things that they're passionate about that might be related to football or might have nothing to do with it. And my, and my hope, and from the feedback I'm getting, it seems to be what's happening, is that people are maybe coming into it for the football thing and then they're finding themselves getting interested in topics that they might not necessarily have otherwise be. See, I like that. So it's, it's your proper came for the Fitbit straight for the Glasgow banter kind of vibe. But I, I'm, I've got a lot of time for that. Um, Glasgow and anywhere else in Scotland or the United Kingdom or the greater podcasting sphere of the world, um, I might add. Uh, thank you to everyone that's sort of watching the stream at the moment and what and anyone that listens subsequently to the podcast when it goes down the podcast tubes. If you do have any thoughts or want to share anything, you can find Adams, as my banner said, at Old Fun Facts one on Twitter. You'll probably repeat that at the end. And likewise, anyone who enjoys this today, feel free to subscribe to my platforms, my YouTube channel, and you can find the Tartan Daily and all your podcast players. But that's the end of the plugs. Let's get into the nitty-gritty of things, mate. What has been your single favourite moment of of the Euros so far. Now, I'm not talking necessarily 
football-wise. I'm just talking your favourite thing that you've seen. I think mine is um, the Scotland fans singing you're just a bleep uh, Robbie Burns to the William Shakespeare statue and the guy who belly slid across like it was like tarmac or paving anyway um, and he's just barely sliding along that into a massive puddle I think that was my favourite two moments of all the great sort of plethora of social media stuff so far what about you mate because you're even more engaged in that side of things than me uh-huh. well you've stolen my Rabbi Burns answer that's the one I had lined up but um, no I think possibly because uh, I'm so tied up with watching the commentators and the pundits and all that side of it I think um, seeing the reaction from Lineker and Rio Ferdinand and guys like that. Very, very, very good professional broadcasters who had maybe got slightly ahead of themselves before the, the Scotland-England game. Um, I, and then again, I think from a Scottish perspective, soonest at Wembley. Um, <laughs> so I like I have to, with these TV watch columns, I have to file them by 10 o'clock on the dot. And it was like a couple of minutes after that how do you watch the line of the concurrently? Night. Like, how do you watch the BBC and ITV coverage concurrently? How do you do that? Well, most of the most of the games at, up until this point have just been um, on one channel. There, there's there's up until yesterday or the day before, games haven't been clashing with each other. Generally, it's been you know there's been a game at two, a game at five, and a game at eight, and ITV's got one, BBC's got the other, or whatever. Um, but with the game on Friday night. Like I'm a I'm a big fan of Rory Hamilton as a commentator, but he was on episode one of this actually. Yeah, and Rory's brilliant, and uh, and he was doing the commentary for STV. And if I had just been watching it as a fan, I would have stuck with STV. But because I had the column to do, ITV had oh. Soonis, Keen, McCoist. You're obviously going to get more content for the column on that. So I was watching there, and then a couple of minutes after my column was submitted. Soonest comes out with uh, something like "Ain't No Chance It's Coming Home" on that on that display on the basis of that display, and uh, it felt, as I said in my, in my column yesterday, it felt a bit like a kind of modern equivalent of him planting that Galatasaray flag in the centre <laughs> circle. Aye, no, he does love a bit of the the bleep house, mate. Um, I'm no swearing because of the time of day that it is. But if you watch my my poem that I did after we beat England, it's very very sweary. But um, <laughs> it's only two and a half minutes of your life, so anyone watching this that's not watched that yet, hopefully enjoy that wee bit of content. Um, part of the reason for that was obviously it was a bit of a rough night the night before, you know, um, and internet was playing up as it always seems to do in whatever hotel chain I seem to stay in. But I, do you know what's been great, mate? See, coming down here, the it's changed London as a place. I said that in the, the previous episode that I just did. It, London is a completely different animal when it's filled with Scottish people mm-hmm. just being Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, it's been a delight just to watch the difference and and it's actually changed like the 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 natives if you like um yeah. or, or people that stay in london like they seem to have responded to it and positively because i'll admit before it all kind of ha- happened like we, we scotland coming down and obviously the fact as well that the the london mayor did not set up like a fan zone or anything like that yeah. which i don't know i don't know if that's contributed positively or negatively to the point I'm about to make. But I think I think it's been great to see the way that people have responded positively. Another clip that I saw was um, where there was a guy with like a kind of bleach blonde head 
and Scotland mm-hmm. fans started chanting gas at him and he just lay in the ground and they went and poured beer in his <laughs> mouth. Absolutely brilliant. Like yeah. it's cracking to have seen that that sort of coming together, you know. And I think the line between kind of banter and and all the rest of it has been it's just been bang on. Like it's there's been enough sort of niggle that there's been good fun and good humour, but mm-hmm. it's not been enough that it's gone over the line and we've we've seen masses of trouble, you know. No, and I, I think that's I think that's testament to both fan bases. To be honest with you, well, yeah, I mean, I think we're in a different time. But I mean, obviously, there's still some very horrible elements within certain fan bases as you can see around the discussion around taking the knee but in general i don't think it a scotland england game is necessarily characterized by the same degree of tension off the pitch as it might have been a couple of decades ago there's still that element to but to a much smaller degree um and i think it's general i, th- I think a lot of it as well um is just the sort of relief that obviously we're still some way from completely being back to normality, but just at mm-hmm. the idea that some people can actually even attend these games, I think people are, are going down there in a more optimistic frame of mind. Uh, do you think it's maybe fostered, like the whole pandemic thing's kind of fostered a kind of an understanding between people that we should just generally be maybe a wee bit nicer to each other, you know, and a bit more perspective about what's important? Um, I'd like to say that as someone who spends a lot of their time on Twitter, I see a lot of evidence to the contrary. But I think, I think in these in these kind of environments of football matches, I think certainly in the short term, I think and hope that a lot of it is just people are just going to be happy to, you know, actually be back and enjoying it. And you, you still obviously you want sort of intense rivalry, but you don't want that spilling over. And hopefully, we're past the stage of it spilling over. Um, on a large scale, uh, that's that's what I'm hoping as well. And I, I think you're right about the fans in the stadium as well, because there's been had there had they been sort of empty arenas, and I've I've covered loads of games behind closed doors, and it's just not the same animal. Even no. a, a small percentage of the capacity being filled, mm-hmm. a crowd there. You know what I mean? It's not a capacity crowd, but it's yeah. there. And you just had to see the gusto with which the, the anthem was sung at Hamden against the Czechs that, I mean, Fitba's back a bit, you know what I mean? Like properly, because that was the great Jock Steen that said football without fans is nothing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't quite nothing because obviously the amount of money in the game the day and various other things. But, I mean, there was something there, but I must admit to like, there was very few football matches that I was watching for pleasure when, when it was the empty arenas because... Yeah. It just didn't appeal to me, mate. Like it was, there was something missing. There was something missing for the cut and thrust of the game as well. You know, like in yeah. terms of the way the players um, responded, because obviously the, the crowd can have an effect, and a home crowd can have a positive or a negative effect. You know, mm-hmm. but yeah. I, I think the the Croatia game is going to be fascinating now. Um, obviously, with the bad news just come out in the when I was doing the previous stream there about about Billy Gilmer, how big a blow do you think that is? That's a massive blow. Um, I think with Billy Gilmore as well, it was, it's not just what he offers on the pitch. It was that he had been the shining light from the game the other night and around him there was developing this enthusiasm that, uh, you know, it's not it's not just a case of a sort of seasoned pro coming in and having a good game. This was this felt like a, a moment that people would talk about. Although, yeah, Scotland didn't win the game, it felt like 
were seen there'd been so much hype around this guy and he more than delivered on it and i felt like this would be a game you know when billy gilmore is in his late 20s and has accumulated trophies and success at you know wherever he goes you'd look back and go i remember that game against england that was the game he proved it that was the game you knew he was the real deal and so for him to be out of the squad and you know, hopefully they're, they're saying that there weren't any other close contacts. Hopefully that that seems to be the, the case right now. Yeah. Is, hopefully that's the case. Um, but even just losing that that one player, it just feels massively deflating, given the 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 sense of optimism that there was and has been since the game on Friday. Let's talk about about what you just mentioned there. Now, tell me if this if you think this turn of phrase is fair. Is it fair to say there's a wee bit of a cult of Billy Gilmer? That's that's built up. Like, I mean, uh, particularly on social media, I'm thinking because, as I say, you're tuned into that zeitgeist a lot more than me. Like, yeah. I, I see so many posts about him, and I'm so glad I did episode three of this, by the way, which is all about him speaking to a coach that that dealt with him when he was younger. So after this, feel free to check that out, anybody. But I like, do you think there's a bit of a cult around that young man? And if so, is that a positive thing? Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if cults the word because I've got a, an instant distrust of any cults. But I think um, <laughs> KKK. <laughs> I like uh, uh, yeah, moving on. Um, I think <laughs> I think with uh, Billy Gilmore, I think he is clearly a a big talent, and not just in that way that we like to hype up our young players. He's a guy who's shown in the small glimpses that he's had at Chelsea. I think the first two games he had at Chelsea, he got consecutive Man of the Match awards, I think. Um, there's been, you know, yeah, there, 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 were, there was a big, um, there was a lot of impetus behind the, the, the campaign for him to be playing in the, the Czech Republic match and then a lot of disappointment when he wasn't given that opportunity um and i think the the appeals for him to be playing were vindicated by his performance the other night um i think i don't think it's just people wanting to throw caution to the wind i think there's a lot of data a lot of uh, evidence behind this idea that we wanted gilmore to play it wasn't just oh you know let's throw him in untested it was this guy's already proved that he's capable of doing it um, and he will add something to the team. And he didn't just add something to the team. He, he held his own and really dominated that game on Friday night. Alan Risk says, no less than the cult of Ryan Gold. Um, I think that's partly because Ryan Gold has obviously not made the, the short list for the squad. But see, when you consider all these players that are kicking about, Adam, there's, mm-hmm. there's quite a bit of positivity about And this is a scary place to be as a Scotland fan, right? <laughs> I'm really positive about the future of our team. Like I look at that squad, it's mainly younger players, and other than maybe a natural goal scorer, a natural young goal scorer, and an heir to the throne in terms of the goalkeeping, mm-hmm. I think we, we, we can be really positive about where the team's headed, not just now, but for the next five, six years, you know, I, I think there's there's a backbone there that we can we can have that we can really build up on. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think in terms of the squad, I there there are players in there, and everyone has been making the point for months now that we're not just there to make up the numbers because there's several players in there who are already playing at a high level. And when I had Craig Brown on the podcast a couple of weeks back, and he was saying, you know, there's guys in there that 
uh, you know, compared to Scotland teams of maybe 10 years ago, we're not pulling players, we're not reduced to pulling players from a kind of slightly lower level in England. We're, we're getting, we've got a guy in there that's won the Champions League and the Premier League. We've actually got two, which um, that was an interesting thing. I, I was on um, joe.co.uk in one of their shows, mm-hmm. and um, the guy next to me pointed out that it was uh, two Champions League players on the pitch, and they were mm-hmm. both playing for Scotland, which yeah, was, uh, that took me aback when he said that. Yeah, I mean, I think Andy Robertson's contribution to winning the Champions League is slightly greater than Billy Gilmore's, <laughs> as much as I'd like to give Billy Still got the medal. Credit. Still got the medal. Um, but that's the calibre we've got. Kieran Tierney isn't just a squad player at Arsenal. He's one of their best players and possibly their most popular player at the moment. We've got several players operating at a high level, and a lot of them are young players as well. So there is the foundation there for not just... Not not just saying, well, we've we've made it this year, let's pat ourselves on the back and wait another 22, 23 years to qualify for a tournament. Um, this could be the foundation for something else. Um, and if, we, uh, if we're still going to Qatar and uh, not doing the moral thing and boycotting it, as every country should be doing, then <laughs> um, we've got a chance of doing well there. This is what I like about you, mate. You're never scared to... Scared to see it as it is and uh, me I'm, I'm of the same mind i mean the fact they got that world cup was a was a travesty uh i mean like, even england's bid was the best bid you know like but zinedine zidane appeared in one video and uh, hmm. let, let's pretend that the bidding process was wholly transparent and above board um yeah, i mean obviously i've got my camera off but you can imagine <laughs> the, the inverted comma fingers aye no exactly um i know i'm just um I, I, I don't want to go down that particular rabbit hole. I want to stick a bit with, with, with the kind of stuff you've been doing. So I'm really interested in hearing a bit more about the coverage. Now, mm-hmm. what I would say is I've only dipped into wee bits of it. I've obviously seen the clip of Rio Ferdinand. I've seen the clip of Graham Soonis. And I saw a bit of Ian Wright, who I must say is one of the pundits that aggravates me the most because I don't think he offers much in terms of tactical analysis of the game. I think he's there as like this character without very much character. And I can remember him reacting. I think it was when Healy scored the goal, when Northern Ireland beat England 1-0, and they'd gone into that game bombastic, like, oh, yeah, it's going to be easy, blah, blah, blah. Even worse than they were going into a Scotland game. And... David Healy gets the goal, Northern Ireland win 1-0. And the only way I can describe Ian Wright's performance after that was like a petulant toddler. It was ridiculous like the way he went on after that game. He actually looked measured in his reaction compared to the folk on the other side after the game, I thought. But what's your general take on the pundits and... Just in terms of their sort of performance in this, um, it, there's a certain sketch on the show tune the fact where folk go around and it's a good guy and um, a something yeah. else, which we'll say we'll say a a twerp, right? Because obviously it's eleven o'clock in the morning. Don't want to be swearing. But in terms of twerp or good guy, how how did the ratio of that go with regards to each of the pundits? I'll I'll start by sticking up for Ian Wright. Right, because oh, Ian, Ian Wright was someone I'd never considered him one of the sort of greatest pundits, and I still think there are pundits out there that offer more insight than than Ian Wright necessarily does. But if you if you ever if you ever need something to change someone's mind on something, listen to the Desert Island Discs episode with Ian Wright. Um, that is that was a moment for me where I'd never really thought that deeply about Ian Wright, and the guy just. 
like it is, it is the classic example of a, of a listening to a footballer when you don't have to have any interest in football to appreciate what they're talking about. He was Definitely. he talked about on this show uh, a moment where I think it was like a, a, a I can't remember if it was like a teacher that he had when he was young, um, and it might have been a teacher or a coach when he was young, but I think it was like a, I think it was a teacher. And he talked about this guy, and he was crying, talking about the guy. Uh, this guy had basically been like a father figure for him, and they'd, they'd reunited on camera maybe like 10 years ago. The guy had shown up while Ian Wright was filming the documentary. And it was just, it, it was you can't you can't keep yourself together listening to it. It was brilliant. And since then... Yeah, I've been, yeah like, I must say I've, I've not come across that, and I've not come across to something where he's, he's inspired emotion in me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, well, it's well worth a listen, and since then I've been an Ian Wright convert. But I think... Generally, the standard, the standard of institute. This is the thing. I've had to be like, um, I've had, I've had to listen to every word of punditry and commentary, basically, to be doing these columns. And Don't be you, mate. <laughs> I know, I know. This is, this is the the bed I've made for myself. But I, I, generally, the in studio stuff has been of a pretty high standard. The it's a bit more hit and miss with the guys on co-commentary. So there are some, well, yeah, there, there are some guys on there who, I mean, in the spirit of Mark Lawrenson, who's no longer do, doing the, who's not at this tournament, there are guys in there who make it sound like a chore to be, yeah, to be paid, right. to be paid well to talk about exciting football matches. And you, and what I would say to them is, Firstly, well, I would have done it for less money. But secondly, <laughs> you, you, you listen to someone like McCoist and say, well, how, how, how can McCoist be this excited about doing it and, and you make it sound so laborious? So, it's, you know, there are people out there who will probably give you better tactical insights than Ali McCoist does. But I, as a viewer, want to, want to be sweat. The same way that if you're listening to a podcast, right, and you might not necessarily know or even care that much about the topic. But if there's an atmosphere in the studio where everyone's relaxed and getting on with each other, that transmits and you end up having a better time and you're more likely to stick with it. If I'm listening to McCoist talking about it and you know he's that enthusiastic that everything is not just making the point, it's then saying, it really is, or let me tell you. And it, <laughs> it's just, it transmits, it's enth that enthusiasm. It's joy. Is, it's joy, yeah. and. He's basically saying, well, you know, I'm being paid to talk about football. How could life get any better? <laughs> Whereas for certain other individuals, and you, you sort of half mentioned one of them there, it feels like, oh, God, I've got to go and talk about killing Mbappe again. God, could life get any worse? You know, well, life could get considerably worse, mate, actually. Um, in terms of the in-studio stuff, most of them have been good. I think Lineker seems a bit on autopilot these days. Um, so Aye, it's ever since he said about, uh, which some are really rate, by the way, is the fact that he's not doing the Champions League stuff so he can go and watch Leicester mm -hmm. and Europe with his lads. Fair mm -hmm. enough. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Good on him for knocking back the money and, and putting life before career because I think... Mm -hmm. A lot of us could sometimes benefit from doing that, but you're right. It's it's not, and I really rate him as an anchor, by mm -hmm. the way. But yeah, I just don't think he's been at his best either. Yeah, well, Lineker, Lineker has been at the top of that game for you know he, he's been doing it for twenty five odd years, and there's no better anchor in the business doing that kind of thing. And he's always professional and everything. And he he did very well 
uh, without going into a rant about the, the TV coverage, he went and he did very well when they eventually handed back to him in the studio following the Christian Eriksen collapse. But I think there are times, so for instance, there was a game the other day where Alex Scott was in the studio, and Alex Scott is one of my favourite pundits. At the She's it's fantastic. Knocks spots off everybody else and that BBC um, mob that they've got, I think, personally. Well, but, I mean, the BBC's coverage is, I think the BBC's, most of the BBC's pundits are great, with the, the odd exception. But uh, she was there with Alan Shearer, and I can't remember who else was in the studio with them, but Lineker was allowing Shearer to talk at length and twice I saw but there were people on social media saying it happened I think more than that where Alex Scott was talking and he's just blatantly talking over her and that's Lineker or Lineker was blatantly talking over Alex Scott and and I'm thinking I'm sure he's not doing that deliberately but it's not it it didn't come off well and I'm and Alex Scott is the one person in that studio who I would most like to hear um and so yeah and yeah, there, there are some pundits who are better than others. I think Sunus has been, even without that, Jay, but I think there's something about Sunus where he's got to the stage in his life where he's just relaxed. He's, and no he's very, very good at this. And he does offer insight as well. Um, and there are there are certain pundits as well who I actually liked for the uh, for the Czech Republic game. I thought Dan and Fletcher was very good. Um, <laughs> I thought he, like, he had a good... For it, when there was a lot of criticism and probably justified of Stephen O'Donnell at various points, which you know, brilliantly and good on him, he's responded to it in the perfect manner. Amazing. But he was, but he was talking. Dan Fletcher was talking. What I look for, because I'm not, and you'll never see it in the things that I write or in the podcast. I'm the first to admit tactics and all that side of it. That's not my strong point, and it's not. I'm only interested in tactics if someone can illuminate it for me, like tell, a, make a good story from it, or, or make a good case using tactics. I'm not interested in the kind of dry data. I'm looking for someone to say, "Well, this is what it means," and give me a kind of illuminating, captivating story from that. And Dan Fletcher was really good. I thought talking about how people were blaming Stephen O'Donnell for the first goal for not closing mm-hmm. that down, and he was talking about how O'Donnell. Would he sympathised with him because O'Donnell would have been caught in two minds at that point because he would have had a man marking role that he needed to follow there. So in his head, he's got to make a split decision: like, do I stick with my man or do I leave my man and try and close this cross down? And he was probably kind of cro- uh, caught in two minds there, which you know, still you would you would say, well, he should have settled on one and done one of those two things. But Dan Fletcher's like. You can't be too no, what he's doing is he's illustrating that, isn't he? Yeah. What he's doing for, yeah. for your, your average kind of Joe Blogs viewer. Yeah, and that's what you want you from... a bit of added value, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's that's what you want, and there's not that many pundits who can do that as well as he did, as as well as I thought he did it there. And but there are plenty of uh, plenty of good pundits there, and just I I think my main gripe is with certain co commentators who just make it sound like they're. Uh, you know, like it's a chore when really it should be a privilege. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a privilege. What do you think, uh, James McFadden, in, in that regard? And then after this, I'm going to give you my opinion, see what you think. I think James McFadden is never going to be the most enthusiastic sounding pundit, but he does talk a very good game. 
And uh, when he's also James that, McFadden, by the way, I should say. Like, sorry? So he's also James McFadden. Yeah. Um that wasn't a loaded cough, by the way. I was nearly choking <laughs> on my water. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> um, not to constantly go, well, I spoke to this guy on my podcast. When Stuart Cosgrove was on a few weeks ago, he was talking about how uh, at the recent Scottish Cup final, he had an opportunity to talk to James McFadden off air, just they were chatting away about the about the game. And he said it's brilliant having those moments with players who can really tell you. So he was talking about a chance that I think Christopher Kane missed for St Johnston in the final. And he was telling Stuart what he thought should have happened in that moment. And the, for uh, that is what James McFadden is good at as a pundit, I think, is being able to illuminate that kind of thing for people who wouldn't necessarily be able to put themselves in the shoes of a striker with a with a chance at goal. He's, I think, very good at that. Um, and he was on the other day uh, when Lineker and Sheeter and Alex Scott were picking over the bones of the, the Scotland-England game. And he was, although, as I said, he's not necessarily in his tone the most enthusiastic, he was probably the most enthusiastic that day when it came to talking about the England-Scotland game because they, you know, they weren't particularly upbeat about it. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the thing. Uh, that, uh, the, the one thing I would say is James McFadden can can do no wrong. I think his insight into the game is is well balanced with that desire of like, being a Scotland fan. And almost since he's retired, I think, I always, like, I mean, it, it, it was a kind of given thing that although he had put some great performances at club level for his various teams, he, he always saved his biggest moments for a Scotland jersey. And I've almost got a more, I feel like I've got a more innate understanding of that bit of his psyche now that, mm-hmm. I've, that, that I've seen him do the kind of punditry bit because it's just the level of investment he's got in it is is there. But he doesn't get carried away with the passion in, in a sort of negative way. Like, so he, he doesn't get too despondent or anything like that. He just he just communicates it quite well. Um, yeah. In terms of the other pundits, I, I, I'd actually like to disagree a wee bit in, mm-hmm. in, in your assessment of because I think ITV's offering has been a good couple of rungs above the beep. Uh, I think the the standard of pundits they've got on has been probably Alex Scott aside a, a good bit better. I think in terms of anchoring, I've always liked Mark Pugach. I think he's really really good. He was great in the radio back in the day, and it's kind of nice. Uh, obviously, with the <laughs> given what we do for a living, with a plethora of ex pros that are involved in, in getting these kind of high profile jobs, it's really nice to see someone who's just like a sort of early stripes presenter journal go on and, and, and have that kind of success. And I think he's a fantastic anchor, asks really, really incisive questions and really rings the best out of a, mm-hmm. a proper glittering panel that he's got beside him. Because Roy Keane, although he's somewhat become a parody of himself in recent years, he's he's still fantastic value and totally just says it as he believes it is, you know. Um, soonest as you say, barring the occasional sort of long monologue, um, which is ties right into Jonathan Watson's whole, can I just say something here, uh, kind of vibe, uh, that I think has been brilliant. And... Gary Neville, I think, is the best pundit going and always delivers, delivers good value in, in terms of what he's doing. So I, I think, I just think their offering has been been a bit better than the Beebs. Um, and I think that was illustrated most for me in the England-Croatia game where they had the, their guys in the studio 
and then Alex Scott was just doing a wee bit beside the pitch, you know, the short bit, and in about a 30 to 45 minute, or sorry, second segment, she delivered a better tactical analysis of the game than your team in the studio had done over the course of a good, a good number of minutes, you know. And I mm-hmm. think just that balance was was kind of wrong. Um, you mentioned the Christian Eriksen thing. I think when when he needs to step up and he's not just phoning in a wee bit, I think Lineker's brilliant. And his tone with that was was perfect. Although mm-hmm. obviously they should have cut away long before they did. Um, which was was all, and that, that that was such a difficult thing to watch, Adam. Like I'd, I've, I I couldn't believe it. Like me, and my mum, my mum was crying, and, mm-hmm. and I was I was close, you know, like because mm-hmm. it, it looked like the worst was going to happen for a wee while. So, well, I, th- I think with the, the Christian Eriksen thing, we talked about this on the on the podcast again, uh, just on last week's episode. Um, I think there were a lot of things that can be learnt. From that, I think the problem, and I was like a lot of people, my initial emotional emotional reaction to the TV coverage, and I obviously still stand by this, we should never have seen the compressions, we should never have seen the wife being consoled, none of that should have, that, that should not have been seen on television. But my initial reaction was, you know, not heads must roll, but the, 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 who's to blame for this? That was my initial thought, why, why was that shown? But the more I thought about it over a few days, I was thinking about the scale of it. Like, obviously, obviously, those that's not BBC footage. We should say that for a start. It's not the BBC filming that, right? And no. a lot of people, a lot of people weren't able to see beyond that. Well, it, it's got a BBC logo in the top left hand, so it's there for BBC. But even withstanding, obviously, minutes before they went back to the studio, they should have the BBC should have cut away. And it should we shouldn't have been seeing those scenes. We should have either been in the studio or we should have been seeing a test card or we should have been seeing a blank screen. And if any of those things had happened, there would have been zero complaints. Everyone would have completely understood why. But I think yep. far from my initial reaction, which was someone should have just pressed a button, it's obviously far more complicated than that. And I'm pretty certain, without being an expert on these things and without presuming to have any insider knowledge, because I don't, I would think that everyone working at the BBC on a moral level would have instantly known we shouldn't be showing this. But the problem with an organisation of that scale is it's a case of how do we get it signed off? Because a junior person presumably can't just go, I'm going to hit that red button now. You know, it's someone has to get it signed off by someone senior and there has to be a UEFA protocol that's followed. So I think that what's happened there is a communication issue, an organisational issue, certainly not a voyeuristic thing. But I also think that the mistake, the mistake that was made is in not having protocol agreed after the Fabrice Muamba thing. So that was nine years ago. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that in that time, there should be protocol, not just an, an organisational thing within the BBC, but an agreed thing with all TV stations, with UEFA, with FIFA, with with English Premier League, with Scottish Premiership, with all levels of the game, there should be, if a game is being televised and something like this happens, here is what then must, here are the steps you must follow. And so we're not in a position where some, some young person at the BBC in a, a relatively low level of responsibility is going, why can't we get this off the screen now? And then they're having to wait for someone to go, well, I need to check it with UEFA or I need to check it with a supervisor or whatever. Because someone someone like me, if I'm in there, I'm going, 
oh, we've got to turn it off. But I'm thinking, is someone going to sack me for, for doing this without getting permission? And so also as well, I'm sure that the, you know, from having spoken to someone who knows more about these things than I do, uh, he suggested, well, the studio for a start wouldn't have been prepared for this to happen. The, com the, the pundits might not have even been in the room at the time. So, so what they should have done is the test card or the blank screen. And, you know, everyone would have understood if a continuity announcer had then at that point said, um, unfortunately, uh, we are unable to continue with our live feed just now. Um, the programme will resume shortly or something like that. And again, Anything to kind of cover it. Now, I, I've yeah. actually run out. I mean, <laughs> I know everyone always sort of wonders the, the various kind of hats I've worn in my sort of journalism and media career. One of them is, is an outside venue broadcast manager or venue outside broadcast manager, sorry. So... That's that's basically being in charge of the broadcast, right? So I've, I've done that role. And what I would say is, even at an organisation like the BBC, it's a core team that is, it's a core team that is pretty small that is responsible for most of what's happening in that broadcast because the nature right. of the beast is you can only have so many people doing so many things. So most of them are run from one truck. Now, I don't know if that's the case at a major event because I've never worked at a major event. I've only really done sort of your, your standard kind of football match. I imagine it's a bit bigger. But I think one of the key things that you say there is with regards to in an organisation like the BBC with something as high profile as this is like who signs off on like that. But that's the point where you say the match director... Or, or whoever's in charge of that broadcast ultimately. So the match director should suggest it to the person in the, the, the kind of broadcast management role. And that person should be readily available to then go, do you know what, let's do the, the morally right thing and do it in a timely fashion. Mm -hmm. That said, I don't think we're going to be in this situation again because I think there will be a protocol agreed with every... And again, another thing to add into the mix is if you are the person in charge at the BBC at that point and you pull away uh, while the rest of the world doesn't, then, I mean, that's that that's kind of going out on a limb. And it might be something that, that annoys the, I mean, not in this particular situation, but you, you, you're basically, you might be going against regulations with, that you've agreed with UEFA, you know? So there, there are a whole myriad of things to consider. But what I do know from my friends that work abroad is that different countries did it different ways. Spain yeah. stayed on the feed long after England did. Germany cut the feed, usually efficient Germans. They cut the feed very early doors, you know? Um, so I, I think um, I, I think it's one of those things where there's a lot of lessons to be learned from it. But, I mean, the, the one thing that goes above anything, he's now been discharged for hospital, I believe, okay. Thank goodness for that, and and having defibrillators beside the football park, that yeah. is, like, I mean, it should well, yeah, be I mean, a park in the land, you know? Well, the, the, the thing is, is, you know, there is in no way, you, you would, there's no way to say that you're glad it happened, it was a horrible thing, but there are positives that can be taken from it, it is, for even just viewers like us, it was harrowing to see um for his teammates it's unimaginable for his family it's you know it's even worse and for the player himself god knows how traumatic it will be to look back on that but there are positives that come of it and the most positive the biggest positive i think that's going to come from it is the increased awareness uh 
of CPR. I think I'll be interested to see over the next few weeks what the uptake is in terms of CPR classes. I think that is that is now an issue that is at the forefront of people's minds. There might have just been something that they were sort of dimly aware of, whether it be learning techniques or just as you alluded to, having defibrillators at stadiums now. Because um, I know there are defibrillators at some, but I don't know how widely uh, or, or at what level that stops being Yeah, nah, I'm not entirely sure about that, mate. But I, I think, like, even at, like, your, your standard sort of park where folk go and play now, like kids mm -hmm. and stuff, um, so, I mean, the Power League springs to mind. That's obviously a brand, but but any of these places where you can just go and have a kick about with your mates, I think there's quite a powerful leagues are available. Aye, it needs to be because it can save life. CPR as well, as Simon Shaw, um, knowing what to do in that situation could have been could have been absolutely vital. I know some papers sort of ran with that as the reasoning's life was saved. And mm -hmm. just last thing I want to mention on it is just that that um sort of guard, the protective guard that the Denmark team formed around them mm -hmm. was that that properly nearly had me greeting man and and the bit where I think it must have been Christian Eriksen's missus or, or a family member and getting comforted by, by Simon Scher and um and Casper Schmeichel. It was it was, it was really moving. And regardless of, of who goes and wins this tournament Denmark have kind of won the tournament as well with that with that moment, like the way that they responded, and it just showed, particularly in a time where nowadays footballers are elevated to these kind of superhuman sort of statuses, particularly in the in the big league down south, that's the best league in the world, trademark, and and, and elsewhere. It, I mean, it was just the human side completely came came to the fore. And it was just I'm I'm so I'm, I'm so glad. Obviously, Christian Eriksen's well-being is, is the first thought, but but it's it's thank goodness for the tournament somewhat as well because I mean if, if anything had I gone any worse, even if he'd sort of been been sort of ill over a long period, it would have cast a shadow over the over the whole thing, you know. Well, I think I think we learned from not learned from that, but we obviously got a reminder from that that football is relatively insignificant. It's obviously. I'm, it's just the cliche to end all cliches to say it puts really things not. into perspective, but there's not really another way to look at it. I don't think the tournament would have mattered at all if if the if the outcome had been worse. And you know, that feeds into as well that UEFA have big questions to answer around the fact that Denmark ended up playing that game two hours later, however that long that was. And for it, for it to be dressed up as Denmark chose to play it, it wasn't a case of them choosing to play it. They were, by all accounts, given two options, you know, play it tonight or play it at lunchtime tomorrow. And they were like, well, we're not going to be sleeping tonight, so we're going to feel even worse tomorrow. So um, I think it was, UEFA have got a lot to uh, explain in that regard. You know, when, when there could have easily been the option of just, Calling it a draw, it was the game was a draw at that point in the match anyway. Um, well, my, my kind of thing on it is, I mean, I, I don't actually know what the the rule would have been. I assume that a three 0 forfeit would have been the the punishment you would call it meted out. Yeah, you know? I mean that that is a that is a punishment, you know, which and, is, is 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 shocking. And I imagine there's going to be a whole raft of um, things put in place for the sporting integrity kind of thing 
and obviously the health and safety, which is the primary thing, and then guidelines for the TV studios. But um, that's what I love about these podcasts, mate, is like sometimes you can go down an unexpected road, and and to dive that deep into the Ericsson thing, I'm, I'm glad we did because it deserved some airing on on this podcast without mm-hmm. any shadow of a doubt. Um, but to bring things back to sort of Scotland things, we've got a question in from Henry Turner, who's very nice about me. Um, <laughs> Henry's used to play in our six-a-side team at university. Henry right. was a flying winger in that team. But he says he would love to know uh, opinions on McTominay. He was at school in Lancaster with him. Then he's got a wee beer emoji in the spirit of things, uh, which is good. Henry's um, a good Celtic man and uh, also a Scotland fan, so uh, despite sort of growing up in Lancaster, so he's a good lad. But aye, Scott McTominay, obviously Henry's known him since he was away. What's your opinion on him as a Scotland player, Adam? Um, I've been very impressed with him. I think as well he's an exam- another example of the type of player, you know, talking about earlier, we're no longer recruiting from the lower not necessarily, not necessarily League Two level, but not in the past, not necessarily Premiership level. We're now recruiting a guy from Manchester United, from Arsenal, from Chelsea, wherever, from Liverpool. McTominay is a guy who's not going to be overawed by playing in a major tournament. You know the the level mm-hmm. that he's playing at week in week out, and he's shown adaptability to 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 play in a different position for Scotland. Um, he's not a guy that you have worries about going into these games um and yeah i think he's better as a center back for scotland because i actually do i think the way we play it's better having his his ability in the ball seeing more of the ball you know which is in that deeper role i I think scotland have got a very settled way of playing now and you could see that uh in the england game there wasn't necessarily in the england team a philosophy and there didn't feel like a, a kind of coherence around that team whereas with scotland you felt like, yes, on paper, England have a better 11, not stratospherically better 11, but a, probably a better 11 than Scotland do. But Scotland are better drilled. And yeah. McTom- a guy like McTominay, who's not playing necessarily in his natural position, knows exactly what his role is and performs it very well. Um, and you, you, watching that England game, you didn't at any point, for all that there's sort of the slightly patronising talk of, you know, plucky Scotland it was never a backs to the wall performance there was you know there was a kind of slightly nervy moment in the box in, in injury time and there was the John Stones header but apart from that it wasn't like they were kind of laying siege to Scotland's goal um, and that comes down to players like McTominay knowing what their job is and sticking to it and not being in any way kind of rattled mm-hmm. no I think that's absolutely right mate if I'm honest the one criticism I had of him in the Czech game was maybe somewhat unfairly comparing him to Darren Fletcher, not as a as a player, because stylistically they're very different, but obviously as the Man United player in the Scotland team, you've got to look like the Man United player in the Scotland team. And it wasn't his fault that the game bypassed him in terms of the ball going over his head, but I don't think he imposed himself in that check game because he's obviously he's quite a tenacious hardy player I think he could have shown a bit more of that in the midfield but against yeah. England he was he was absolutely heroic as as were all of our players um, I'm going to finish up just by asking you your, your favourites and your tops of, of certain things mate um, okay. so let's start off with your top pundits and I'm, I'll let you give, give given the, the numbers of them that there are I'll let you give a, a bronze, a silver, and a gold. 
if you want. Uh, okay. Uh, bronze, Sunis. Uh, silver, Alex Scott. Gold, McCoyst. Gold, McCoyst. Excellent. Love it. Um, Favourite commentary, Joe? I've got a feeling that Ali McCoyst might be gone kind of like, a bit like uh, a heptathlete or decathlete getting various medals here. Oh, yeah, probably. Well, it'd have to be McCoyst and Tildesley. Um, yeah. Not, not quite up there with McCoyst and champion from the, the 2018 World Cup, but that was that was in the days of the McCoyst travelogues. So, <sighs> a house in you know. That was amazing. Just talking about Russian cities. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about the Clive Tilsley Sam Martin thing actually just briefly. What's your view on that? Because I mean they've they've jettisoned Clive Tilsley for a guy who tries to shoehorn the worst puns and cliched hackney turns of phrase like saying that Cristiano Ronaldo has more records than HMV when yeah. HMV went bust what a decade ago. It's just like, come on. Um, also, by the way, the worst Sam Martin he's kind of a bit partridge, right? Which I would admit I am myself, right? On, on occasion, but like the he honestly did one of the worst bits of commentary I've ever heard. And I'm no way to stick the boot in because, like, he's obviously he's a better commentator than me, and I've, I've like he's achieved more and, and what have you as, as I look to hone my craft in, in that particular branch of what I do. But he, <laughs> I remember him commentating, and it was the game where Russell Martin scored at uh, the cop for Norwich City against Liverpool. Mm -hmm. And he made it about Bernard Matthews. Oh, God's sake. And I'm just thinking, wow, that's that's quite something. And um, I, like, I I don't know. I I just think the decision to jettison the guy that I think is the best commentator on earth in the English language for him was... Complete folly. Well, there's the, there was a review I always remember of an album, and it was the, the review was people always, whenever people ask Blur or Oasis, the real answer is Pulp. So, whenever people ask Matterface or Tildesley, <laughs> the real answer is Drury. Um, so fair enough, yeah. But I, 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 I think Sam Matterface is. Solid, but occasionally cheesy. I think Tildesley is a, a league above that. I think T- Tildesley is, he captures the, the passion of it. Um, and he's had in his career iconic moments of commentary, Clive Tildesley. And you would yeah. not necessarily be able to pinpoint those with Sam Matterface. Um, Tildesley is a good foil for Ali McCoyst because they obviously have a decent rapport um and he plays to McCoy's strengths of yeah. you know you know bringing the enthusiasm uh, bringing the, the the viewer along with their enthusiasm and yeah Tildesley does feel like a guy who gets it um and yeah I, I would I would I think Tildesley and McCoy are the kind of ideal partnership at this tournament yeah yeah no I would certainly go with that right that, that's a weird one to throw in and it might not work for you so so I'm mm-hmm. gonna I'm gonna try it out so I've started this thing where I'm tweeting anytime I'm watching a game with my mum and my dad I'm tweeting out this thing where if they say something that's really just funny and and, and I kind of left field way I'm calling it hashtag hoospunditry so I've got that wee thing there. Do you have any good hashtag who's punditry stories from the tournament so far? So I'll give you a couple of examples of who's punditry, right? One would be <laughs> when this was a collaborative effort 
But my dad says that he was talking about Giorgio Chiellini in the opening game. Mm-hmm. And he says, he looks like a painter. He looks like the kind of guy you get into paint your wall, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, my goes, aye, with a hangover, right? <laughs> so Giorgio Chiellini being a painter with a hangover, that's an example of who's punditry. Mm-hmm. Um, the Croatia boss was in his uh, resplendent best in, in their opening game against England and looked roasting. Right <laughs> on that yeah. Wembley touchline in that game, and uh, my mum and uh, this was my dad. He says so, but again, which is where he's the, the the kind of thing here. That's a pub in the mining village of New Cumnock, and he says he looks like he's just going out to Bregen in a Saturday. Another <laughs> example of who's punditry. Have you experienced any who's punditry during the tournament? And anyone who's watching who has fire them into us before we finish up. This this tournament not so much because it's basically me, my wife in the flat, and my wife is she's been working during a lot of the games and when she's been here it's been i've been kind of laser focused on picking up the commentary because i basically have these columns to do but uh going back a while when i was a wee boy watching france 98 i always remember the world cup final it's not so much something they said as something they did but i was watching watching the world cup final and it was uh, me sitting next to my sister sort of perched against the bottom of the couch and my mum and dad were on the couch and just as the game kicked off the final France-Brazil my dad just jumped over my head with no warning, just jumped over my head right up in the sky down with a thud right in front of me and I, I was like absolutely stunned and I said, what, why did you, like why would you do that, why did you do that and he said no reason but you'll always remember me doing it <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's that is primarily what like everyone else remembers that World Cup final for Ronaldo being off his game and Zidane scoring nice. a double. I remember it from my dad going flying through the air for absolutely no reason. I'll get all the time in the world for that, mate. Yeah. Um, couple more favourites to batter out. Favourite Scotland chant. Hmm. Well, uh, the one that you mentioned earlier, the Rabbi Burns one, hands down. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm going more for the kind of football related one, so like the kind of standard in-game chant. Because we've already established that was the best social media moment, definitely. <laughs> I think uh, we've got McGinn. Go for that. Mm-hmm. We've got McGinn. Yeah. Super John McGinn. Super John McGinn. Yeah. Uh, he's Steve Clark's band, and he's better than Zidane. Uh, and then my, my final one is: What's been your sort of most iconic moment with any team during this Euros? And it can be related to the broadcast. It can be related <sighs> to just something that happened. I'll give you mine. My my favourite moment so far is still Andrea Bocelli opening it. I just I thought that was so emotional, man. Yeah, actually, I don't. I, I think that's a high bar to clear. Um, that I think I described it in my column as it was like the the if, in terms of emotion, it was like the first ten minutes of up times the entirety of Coco. Plus, plus the moment in Inside Out where he says, take her to the moon. <laughs> plus, you know, Bambi's mum being killed or whatever. It was just <laughs> it was just absolutely tugging on the heartstrings that moment. Um, there's been a lot with a lot with Italy. Like you, you just the way that they belt out the national anthem, even just the cut of Mancini's suits, absolutely tremendous. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can't really top the Bocelli thing, but uh, second place would be the Italy suits for me. Aye, no, they are brilliant. Are, are Italy your favourite team that you've had in the in the tournament so far? 
Yeah, actually, probably, because I don't think, although, you know, there's certain teams like Italy where you never really write them off going into a tournament, um, I <laughs> just seen that flashing up on the screen. That is, to be fair, that is definitely me stretching it because Coco left me an absolute wreck and I'm not ashamed to admit it. And, but, and yeah, who actually did more for me? Um, it's the bit, it's the bit we've been, I don't want to give any spoilers in case anybody watches it because it's a fantastic film. But the bit, you know the bit I mean with Bing Bong, right? Yeah, well, that's the bit I'm talking about when he says, take I, her to the moon. I just yeah, killed me. But uh, yeah, when we talk Italy, yeah, I think Italy were uh, not as heavily fancied as they usually are going into this tournament, despite the fact that they had that brilliant record of was it 20, 27, 28 games or something going into the, the tournament competing. I'm not sure. Um, but they've really impressed so far. Um, and even I think they made eight changes for that Wales game yesterday and played Wales off the park. So I, th I think with that, I think uh, I'd still say France are the, the favourites, which isn't exactly a bold prediction when you consider the players they've got. But I think Italy are in with that decent shout. No, I'm, I'm wholeheartedly with you on that. Uh, I'll give you one last favourite question just to finish off, just because it's a Scotland love in. Who's your favourite player in the current Scotland vintage? Uh, that is a good question. That's a really good question. I'll give I'll give Kieran Tierney the nod for two reasons. The most important one being he follows me on Twitter. So, like there are there are footballers there are footballers who've got me blocked. And for instance, Virgil Van Dyke has got me blocked. So the the world's most expensive defender at some point in his life. Thought I need to block old fun facts and fair play to him for that. Um, but, um, I'm well jealous of that, by the way. Well, no, sorry. I always qualify the difference between jealousy and envy. Jealousy is like kind of putting negative connotation towards you for having it. I am I'm envious of the fact that Keely Tierney follows you, mate. I've never I've never been lucky enough to speak to him, but the the main reason for that is I think Tierney is. Uh, an inspirational player and totally. for a number of reasons but I remember very strongly talk, you know, in, in columns that I wrote at the time and I think I said on a podcast I was on uh, just there was a bit of a backlash towards Tierney when he chose to leave Celtic and there was, the, there was an idea from a certain type of that, that kind of inverted comma remember the 90s proper Celtic dad type Celtic fan of, you know, oh, he claims to be a proper Celtic man, but he wouldn't even stay for 10 in a row. But you think about the, the leaving aside the fact that 10 in a row didn't happen, you think about the variables involved in that. So, so a massive club like Arsenal come in for you and you're a young guy. If it's That is an opportunity that is so rare for Scottish players. Mm -hmm. And if Tierney had gone no, I'm a proper Celtic man. I'm staying for 10 in a row. Could have broken his leg the next week. The, he might never then have got that move to Arsenal. So he's he's basically said it's very easy for a young Scottish guy to go, no, it's all about Celtic or Rangers for me, and just stay as a as a big fish in a small bowl here. Um, but instead, he's like, no, I'm going to take my chances. And it's to me, it's in that kind of, he's more in that sort of Andy Murray frame of mind where a lot of tennis players like and uh, would have got to the stage that Andy Murray was at early in his career of being in the top let's say 20 players but he wasn't 
he wasn't really strong enough to challenge Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic on a physical level, or uh, and on a mental level, he was prone to kind of outbursts and stuff. But Andy Murray looked at the situation and thought, I'm not going to settle for that. I'm going to hire the best people around me so that mentally I can be strong enough to not let setbacks get to me in the game. And physically, I can become an absolute machine. And he did that and eventually became, for a period, the best tennis player in the world and held his own. And there's an element of that with Tierney, who a lot of Scottish footballers would be content to go, I reached a level where I was playing for Celtic and I was playing well for them and, you know, got to, you know, and I enjoyed that and I had a few drinks and I did whatever. And Tierney was like, no, nah, I'm just actually going to be, I'm become, going to become better now. I'm going to go down to the Premier League and not just be an Arsenal player, but be Arsenal's best player, or one of Arsenal's best players. His attitude has been absolutely immense at Arsenal. He's dragged guys that look half-arsed at Arsenal at times. He's dragged them and become a fan's favourite because of his attitude. And you could see how valuable he was during that England game. It felt like, I'm not saying Tierney, Tierney's absence was the only reason Scotland lost to Czech Republic. There were quite it a few was a massive reason, and I don't think we'll but, win a game without him. But it, you could see the difference having him in that side. He's, he's not just, in terms of ability, a fantastic footballer, but he's also, I think, quite an inspirational figure. So, yeah, for me, he's he's he would be my favourite player in that squad. It's a great answer. Just a couple of quick things to pick out from it is, one, it, when the bid comes in and Celtic are saying we're accepting the bid, mm-hmm. the level of control that Keenan Tierney has at that moment, right, is, is, is kind of, it's reduced because the yeah. club are saying, look, we're selling you. Mm-hmm. And, and for all that people talk about player power, that, I mean, that's still, if Celtic say that you're going, you're going. And in that situation, also, um, you, what you've got to think of is you've got to think football's, what, a 15-year career-ish on average, right, for, for, for these guys, sort of top-level pros, whatever. That's a short window. And don't get me wrong, they get recompensed, particularly the players with the likes mm-hmm. of Arsenal in the Premier League and stuff, like they get recompensed the way that I believe like the, the, the top surgeons and, mm-hmm. and folk that are saving life should. But mm-hmm. I, I would say that it's a short career and you've got to look at it with, with that perspective. Let's let anything else, if you if you can earn money from it, then earn as much money as you can, particularly if it's a, a shortened window. Yeah. And and the third point I would just make on it. Is if Kieran Tierney had stayed at Celtic, he's already got problems with injuries. I think those problems with injuries are as a result of Celtic basically playing 11 months of the year with a ridiculous European qualifying schedule. And I think having been subjected to that intensity has contributed to the fact that he's now fairly injury prone, which mm-hmm. is the only real worry you've got about Kieran Tierney for the rest of his career is whether he's got the durability to, to last, you know. Mm-hmm. And that, if yeah. he'd stayed at Celtic, that would just have been exacerbated. Yeah, I think with the with Tierney is as much as Celtic are a huge club, Arsenal. You know that a top Premier League club, he's getting the best of everything down there. So even the best physios, the best setup to either prevent or manage injury problems for him. Um, and as you alluded to there, the the financial recompense he's getting there. I mean, he's going to be a, a couple of years at Arsenal. That is him not just set up for life, it's his family set up for life. And Celtic, don't get me wrong, would have been paying him well, but not Arsenal, not Premier League well. And he can he, he he's basically for he's now playing at a higher level, he's improving himself as a player and he's been well rewarded into the bargain. So it was a no brainer for me him leaving Celtic and you just have to 
not look at it as a lot of Celtic fans do and go, well, I'm a fan and I wouldn't leave Celtic. You go, think, put yourself in his shoes. It was a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer. And likewise for Brendan Rodgers, but that's a different discussion for a different day, mate. <laughs> I, yeah. um, I, I've really enjoyed speaking to you, Adam. Always do, mate. The chats are always fun and engaging and interesting. Um, Alan Russ making a, just a, a final point there. He's saying um, Arsenal out of Europe should help him next season. Uh, Absolutely yeah. spot on. Um, although Arsenal fans <laughs> probably won't like looking at that. Adam, I've got a wee ticker going along the bottom saying about where people can find you. But for anyone listening in the audio podcast, please tell us where they can find your stuff because um, it's well worth engaging with. Yeah, uh, so you can find my Twitter account at Old Firm Facts One. Um, the Old Firm Facts podcast is on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places where you'd get your streaming stuff. Um, I've got most days, if there's a game on, uh, if there's a game or games on during the Euros, then the next day I'm going to have a column, a TV watch column in the record about it. Some of them are online, some of them are not, but they'll, they'll always be in the physical edition of the paper. And on the BBC Scotland website and Twitter channels and my Twitter channel, there's currently four monologues that I've done, and I'm just, the minute we've stopped doing this, going to look at the edit of the fifth one, which will hopefully be going up soon. Um, so, yeah, that's where to find that stuff. Loads of good stuff there. Definitely get involved uh, with all the stuff that Adam has going on. I You can also find anyone that's new to my channel. Please, if you've enjoyed this, please do subscribe. The Tartan Daily will run daily until Scotland are out of the tournament, and then we'll probably hold a wee bit of a post-mortem. Uh, I say when, like, I mean, Adam is very, very rampant in the fact that he believes we're going to get to the final and tweeted to the effect that uh, at least Billy Gilmer's going to be back for the final that night. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, if anything, this could be a, a, a bonus that he's going to be well-rested for, for that <laughs> game. And, you know, he's... Uh, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that he's going to outplay Pogba because it might not necessarily be France that we play in the final, but uh, I think why not be optimistic? No, you're quite right. And like all joking aside, we can go on a run if we if we get to the knockout stages. I, I do genuinely believe that. And if we could emulate, let's say, what Wales did five years ago, that would be that would be absolutely phenomenal. But as I say, anyone who's new to my channel, if you've enjoyed it, please subscribe, hit the wee button and the bell on YouTube for anyone listening to the audio podcast. If that's for the first time, then you can subscribe. Or if that's how you prefer to consume your content, you can subscribe to the Tartan Daily. Uh, just be searching in all your major podcast platforms. And thank you, everyone, for watching. I'm going to play my wee outro video, but there's one thing to remember in this tournament, and I always say this. No Scotland, no party. Thank you for watching today's Tartan Daily. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll be doing each of these every day during the Euros, as long as Scotland are in the tournament. Remember, you can find me, I'm Hodgy the Hack, that's H-O-D-G-E-Y the Hack, on all social media. So that's Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. If you were watching the stream on YouTube today, then please remember to hit the bell for notifications of future streams. And if you're listening on the podcast, then you can subscribe on your major podcast players and please give a rating or a comment seeing how much you enjoyed it. And remember, if you're enjoying these podcasts, then please share them with all your friends. Thank you very much for watching or listening. And remember, no Scotland, no party. <laughs>